community live stream number 123. Not only that, but today is a very special day. I don't wear a costume just any day, and I certainly don't wear eye makeup for very good reasons. Most of what I'm wearing right now does belong to my wife. I don't normally wear her clothes, but when I do, I make sure they're fashionable. It's very good to be here. There is a reason why we are dressed up, though. And as I was talking to Roy earlier, I am, as he said, Data Garcia, and I am playing for the Stateful Dead. That being said, I will be putting on my sunglasses so you don't have to see my incredible eye makeup. But the reason why we're dressed up today is that all these three wonderful humans are joining us today from Israel. And in Israel, it's a very special holiday, which when American pronunciation would be Purim. In Hebrew, I think it would be something closer to Purim, and I might be totally wrong on that too. Not at all. It's a very special day where you get to dress up, from what I understand. Like our Halloween. Yeah, it's like your Halloween. But it's, but it's yeah. cool because like it's an underground Halloween because not as many people know about it. So I feel even cooler dressing up for today. Yeah, but here it feels like everybody knows about it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, um, have to, you have people with swords and stuff. And you're like, yeah. Here in the north of Spain, I think I might be the only person who's dressed up right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, man, there's got to be somebody out there. But still, anyway, very nice to be here with all of you today. You are all from State Hub, which is one of the members of the Data on Kubernetes community. Massive shout out to State Hub. Very active in our ecosystem. They're doing great stuff. Can we just go around and do a little quick round of introductions? We'll start with you, Michael, since you're since you're wearing a different costume. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about your role in Stato? Yeah, um, well, I'm the head of product, uh, which is uh, very interesting, I presume. Um, I do product stuff like Jira tickets and uh, um, PIs and, and and design documents and yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, pretty much uh, with up since the beginning uh, through various situations and uh, excited to be here. Very, very good. Good to have you. And sounds like a very active job. Now, moving over to you, Rohoi. What's up? Yeah, cool, cool. So I'm uh, Roy. I had the... <laughs> Once again, this pronunciation, this pronunciation game is vicious. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. Like, half of my Americans friend have been calling me Roy my entire life and like, you know, can't fix that. Uh, so I had the marketing department for uh, StateUp and whatever development doesn't do. And uh, that's about it. Like uh, we've been out for like six months now and it's been a journey. It's been a lot of fun so, since we came up. And uh, yeah, really happy to be here and to be in the Doc Foundation. Awesome, good to have you with us. Last but certainly not least, Mr. Jenkins. <laughs> So uh, I joined, uh, next month it will be my third anniversary at uh, State Hub. I joined them as uh, the DevOps lead, but now as a DevOps who does everything, I do solution architecture as well. So I'm here, <laughs> happy to be here. A man of many hats, although he's not wearing one. Now today we're gonna be talking, yeah, today we're, and, and with a very flashy bow tie, I must admit that I made a massive mistake. He had already informed me last week that he'd be dressed up as Jenkins. I humbly mistook him for Pee Wee Herman. I apologize for the confusion. I no um, that's okay. I love the PV, the PV Herman much better. Like we're gonna go with that like internally in the company. <laughs> <laughs> so now you've got another hat that you can wear, which is the Pee Wee Herman one. That being said, declarative data is something that came up. There is actually something we're gonna talk about today apart from just costumes and holidays is that declarative data is a very important topic that arose in our research report that we did last year, where you interviewed 500 different organizations about how they see the challenge and opportunities of running data on Kubernetes. So this is what we're gonna be focused on uh, today. Get your questions out there. If there are terms that you're not familiar with, please feel free to ask. That being said, I'd like to turn it over to the three of you. Michael, if you'd like to share your screen, we can jump into the presentation. Remember folks, take advantage. You can get your questions out here on YouTube, also in our Slack. All three of these wonderful people will be available to answer them. Um, so that being said, Michael, you can take it away. Uh, sure. You know what? Let me uh, start a little bit with like oh. a little bit of like uh, an intro because like uh, basically like we, we're not planning of showing like big demos or big thing. And like, just to talk a little bit about the challenges that are facing the industry basically and how we see that. We didn't start our story with the Kubernetes. We actually... Uh, started it with VMs and replication and, and stuff of a sort. And we saw like such a, a burning need in uh, Kubernetes that we shifted towards it. And uh, in Kubernetes, we found out 
a lot of different challenges and the, the complexity of the matter and the, the different issues between um, if it's from compatibility to skill sets and whatever. And like we, we wanted to talk a little bit about what we see in the industry and how it also fits with the, the doc survey and how we see ourselves fit with that. Uh, so basically like, you know, I would have asked like uh, the first question would be like, why isn't stateful Kubernetes as adopted as stateless in general? Like what are the challenges facing it? And uh, Michael, our head of product had been researching this topic for, well, most of his life now. <laughs> he's a, he's a, Michael is the only storage person under 40, which this is why he doesn't need a costume because it's that surreal. Okay. <laughs> the under 40 club, which is a very lonely club to be in, but but you are unique. That's good. Yeah. So, Michael, what do you the think? The smile oh. is a costume. <laughs> it's not real. There's a lot of pain in the eye. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, so, yeah. Um, everybody hates storage, right? Um, de de dealing with it, setting it up. Uh, configuring it, especially for replication, for uh, uh, stuff like data protection, high availability, backups, all that. Now, Kubernetes has kind of uh, came out with with this amazing approach uh, of you know, let's let's have a declarative configuration, describe what you want your IT environment to look like, and it will be made to fit your description, right? There will be mechanisms that uh, reconcile between what's actually happening and uh, what you need to, 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 to have. Now, this all works pretty well uh, with status applications. You have your, uh, you know, you just specify your container uh, image, how much, uh, how many of it you need, Maybe some constraints, uh, uh, you know, about like I want it on these nodes, and not on that, uh, uh, on the other nodes, but all pretty much uh, very generic stuff that don't change much from environment to environment, from cloud vendor to cloud vendor, from on-prem to uh, the public cloud, and so on and so forth. Um, when it comes to data, uh, it's all it all kind kind of falls apart. Because then you need to specify, uh, you know, specific storage classes that are um, vendor-specific. Uh, they have different properties in terms of uh, availability and and uh, um, and uh, uh, the other thing. I thought, I would, uh, uh, yeah, I thought it would be a good idea to prepare, but then I thought I'll just make it. Um, so in terms of uh, availability and, uh, and performance and all, all that stuff. So uh, what happened is that if you have a, an application that's ready to be run on uh, like, you know, on-prem or on a public cloud in a specific uh, region or a specific cloud vendor, you cannot easily take it somewhere else you will be uh, stuck with porting your configuration from one, uh, one cloud vendor to another cloud vendor. So there's no interoperability, there's no portability of applications. All, all of that uh, cloud native awesomeness just, just, just falls apart as soon as you need to deal with, uh, with the data because you don't end up actually dealing with the data you end up dealing with storage, right? You uh, like, I just want 10 gigs from a database. Uh, yeah, but where where do you want it from? From a GP2 or a GP3 or a, uh, at the moment you, you, you make this choice once, you kind of weld your application to a specific physical location where it will be forever because now you cannot move like, you know, you move to another uh, region or to another cloud, you, 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 you get a completely different new data set. Oh, new hat. That's and, my cue to, to Roy, stop just talking. switched hats. I'd like to everyone to know that. If you're uh, listening to this later in the future as a podcast, one of the, one of the panelists just switched hats.
this is my thinking hat. <laughs> yeah, I think like what Michael is like uh, saying, like just to summarize that, I think there's a reason why we're in the data on Kubernetes community and not the storage on Kubernetes community, uh, because we consume data. We don't consume storage. Storage is a physical device that is restricted to whoever sells you that physical device. And also because if we were- and, 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 and on that point, Kubernetes, what it does is not only that it, it abstracts the, the, the physical layer, right? That already you, you probably get some VMs that to, to, to run on from the cloud. It, only, it, it also uh, abstracts the, uh, the cloud vendor that you're uh, working with. So you, you, you can have uh, cloud native and portable applications. And the moment data comes into play, it all goes out the window. Exactly. What do you think, can, is it possible even? That's exactly the reason why I always wanted to work with Kubernetes. I think me and a lot of my other DevOps engineers, we see, at least me, I see Kubernetes as an abstraction layer above infrastructure, above cloud, cloud providers. So if I, after I take this huge project of putting my, deploying my application on Kubernetes, right? Which no matter how complex it is, could take weeks, could take months. Um, after I do that, if I want to scale somewhere else, if, if I have Kubernetes over there, that's fine. That's, that's all I need. But if, and if uh, let's say a new engineer comes along, all I need him to know is Kubernetes. If he knows Kubernetes, I, I feel fine with him administrating pod services, whatever. He, he can deal and know how to debug my application in this, in this infrastructure. Uh, but it's not, it's not the case with stateful workloads yet. Um, I think, I, I know like different providers have different storage solutions with different features. Different, different limitations uh, across some, some are available across AZ, some not. Uh, so, <clears throat> and there aren't a lot of services that abstract away the storage layer. So you have either, you can either choose what the cloud offering is offering you right now, which is take the easy path right now and the hardest later, or you can do a DIY solution, which is hard desk now and hard and will be hard in the future. So I guess we know where, what you would choose to do. Um, and which is a huge project, right? Like most, most DevOps teams or engineering teams don't have the kind of knowledge and that, that, are, that is required for this kind of project, networking, uh, storage, replication, infrastructure, which is really tucked away behind the curtain, which the cloud provider doesn't even want you to see. Right, um, so I think that's the biggest issue here. Exactly. We have the like we see that like all the time when we talk to like these uh, type of like born to cloud uh, DevOps team. Like uh, they were trained as uh, DevOps in AWS or got all kinds of certification from them or from Azure or from Google, and they learned like the they they drink the Kool Aid of just the cloud provider. So it gives them a tool that are is tools that are restricted to a certain infrastructure. And when they wanna move from that infrastructure or they need a certain operational flexibility, they find themselves stuck. And it's either they can consume managed services that also kind of restrict them, uh, or they can go with a kind of like a DIY approach and really it requires a lot of knowledge about storage and things like that, that we just don't think that people should have anymore. Like uh, these are issues that were solved in many different ways. And yeah, the whole idea behind cloud is letting someone else solve these issues for you, right? Like yeah. you don't need infrastructure engineers and expert, experts in your in organization uh, because they are in the cloud, right? They, are, they work at those companies that automate these things away. Um, <laughs> so these people like are being automated away, but so they are not, they're non-existent. Yeah, so it makes like the, the, 
the, the difference between the stateless and stateful experiences is so big that we find that some don't even try the stateful experience. The second there is some complexity into their stack, the second that there is another cluster or another region or everything, it just becomes a little bit too complex. It's also something that we saw in the, the doc survey. Uh, standardization and, and complexity that derives from it are uh, some of the biggest um, uh, key points that people uh, show that are stopping Kubernetes from, adoption, from adopting stateful workloads. And uh, yeah, and uh, basically the, the real question is, can stateful deployments even come remotely close to the same user experience as their stateless counterpart when it comes to agility, when it comes to uh, ease of use? So Michael here researched a lot of products and stuff like that. Michael, what do you think? Is it possible? Like, um, Well, it, it it is not impossible. Um, here's the thing. Um, there is a gap in the industry, uh, which, you know, spoiler alert, we're trying to fill, uh, regarding standardization, regarding uh, the ability to easily provision and move around uh, stateful workloads uh, by not dealing with uh, anything storage related or network related, right? Um, because when you, when you try to have some kind of um, persistent workload that needs to be resilient beyond the, the confines of, of your availability zone, you start running into issues. Uh, you start running into, um, uh, you have a data problem, but you start dealing with networking issues. How do you replicate the data? How do you make sure that uh, all of your locations are, are in sync in, uh, in case you want to move your application around, in case you really want it uh, to be uh, uh, portable and cloud native and not like, you know, stuck uh, in, in, in one place. Um, and... Uh, while we can't expect the, the solution to come from the cloud vendors themselves, uh, Bart, I hope you're okay, you went dark there. Um, uh, while you can't, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the solution won't come probably from the, the cloud vendors themselves because um, they don't want to uh, allow too much interoperability, too much freedom of movement of data uh, the industry will uh, close that gap, and and uh, we're uh, we're here to do uh, probably just that. Can can we double down on that a little bit more? Because regarding sure. interoperability, portability, and the you know buzzword cloud native bingo, if you want to win uh, vendor lock in, like hearing from major major cloud providers, I'm not going to name names, you know that they're fighting against vendor lock in, that they're totally okay with this. But when push actually comes to shove and you look at it, and also from a certain form of logic, that they want to keep everything under the same roof, push people into, um, into their own solutions, say, we're cool with Kubernetes, but um, you can also use our managed container services. How do, how do you get beyond that? Um, what, like, what needs to happen for, for them to either really wake up or for new alternatives to arise? That's well, um, um, well, if that's what is... Like, uh, only like we actually discussed that, but I think like the first step is like market education a little bit. Uh, th there, is a, there is an issue with the consumption of like managed services. We, we take solutions that solve our current problem and we never think about any operational uh, flexibility afterwards. So I, if I have a problem of uh, replicating a database, so maybe I'll use a managed solution that is only applicable to that database and comes with certain, um, certain capabilities, but also it comes with certain restrictions. Or sometimes cloud providers, they most of their services, like we see with the, from RDS to manage uh, SQL and stuff like that, are restricted to their their own infrastructure. And the reason, one of the reasons why, if you ask me, is uh, very simple. Uh, 
we are to blame. We, we do not look at vendor neutrality as a feature. We don't think about it in our decision-making process. So when I choose a solution, I, my goal is to solve a problem. And I, I don't have to think ahead of that. If we start looking and when we talk to people from the public cloud or any other event and ask them, okay, but can I run this in Azure as well? Can I move that to Google? If the public will be more aware as a community uh, that, uh, that these features matter and uh, keeping operational flexibility is to your best interest, I think that will change a lot because- I'll I'll quote, I'll quote a customer who said, everything I learned in my career that everything that, that can break will break and everything that can't break will break. So you can't, like, you can't take anyone, anyone's words on anything. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and regarding market education, I don't know if, if, if that's the, 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 the correct term here, but it used to be the case, uh, specifically before Kubernetes, that in order to run a database, you need to, like on the cloud, right? You need to you you needed to get a uh, an instance or a VM uh, with some operating system that you're comfortable with, and you know patch it to to, to patch out all the security uh, vulnerabilities, and then you would need to install the the uh, database like binaries the, the 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 software packages themselves and then you would need to connect the storage and then configure your uh, fstab file so that they will mount and boot and then uh, and that uh, like you know uh, it will fsck correctly when something happens and like you know do all, all that system administration stuff any system administrators in the cloud uh, in the crowd i mean uh, probably not anymore um so it, it would be like a, a task of a day to set up a database and and aws and and the the the, the rest of the hyperscalers uh, and not only them right? like even the smaller uh, cloud vendors of course there's also oracle right uh, came up with, you know, okay, there's RDS, there's Azure SQL, there's uh, uh, like, you know, click and you have a, a, a database. Now, um, what we have with Kubernetes, is pretty much the same experience right now because you have so many- uh, You have uh, operators. Exactly, you have operators that completely obviate the need to lock yourself into a proprietary service by cloud vendor, but uh, we kind of still use them by inertia, right? Because we are under the illusion that it's somebody else's problem, uh, but the problem becomes mine when it doesn't work because everything, like, you know, we had, what, three, four, seven uh, uh, AWS uh, outages in the last uh, month. I don't know. I, I, I lost count already. And the other guys aren't, 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 much better, right? Look, or they're worse, they're amazing, they're amazing services, right? Uh, but uh, they have one flaw uh, that uh, they all have people in them uh, that make mistakes and, and, and things break, right? Um, so, uh, so what I'm saying is these uh, proprietary services, uh, you know, you click and you get a a uh, a uh, uh, a connection string. Okay, you, you can get this with Kubernetes. You are managing your own Kubernetes anyway, right now, right? So 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 what's the difference? Barely any. But what do you gain? Potentially, you gain if you use the the the, the correct tools on the infrastructure level and abstract uh, the, the the data layer as well. You get. Uh, the ability not to be uh, bound to your um, to your vendor to a specific geographic location. You know, two people in the garage start a company um, seven years later, and, and they're like, "Okay, let's go to uh, AWS US East One because uh, everybody does it." And seven years later, it's a five thousand people corporation, and they're still there, and they can't move, even though their business might demand something else. 
They have so much data, and that's the thing that that's keeping cool. them uh, locked in. Yeah, I think I think relying on specific features like or uh, an automated a thing that's automated away like behind the curtain, as I said, um, <laughs> which is like provided to you by a single vendor. It's like <laughs> it automatically gets you more attached to it, and which is obviously in in the vendor's best interest, right? Um, but which is okay. Uh, I'm not saying they're doing it deliberately, but obviously they will always choose to de develop their own business instead of developing this thing that might take their customers customers away. It's probably not in the highest their highest priority. Um, so we as consumers, we need to make smart smart consumer decisions. We need to choose tools that will allow us flexibility. You know, um, like a minimalist who travels, like you need to pick, you need to pack light. You need to like pack multi-purpose tools. So whenever you you need anything, you have it, but you still can move around freely. Freely. So we need to keep portability and vendor neutrality in mind. Like. Whenever I deploy uh, a load balancer on top of a Kubernetes cluster, I'll always prefer using the Nginx uh, solution on top, of, on, as opposed to using uh, a cloud load balancer controller. Because if I take this configuration and I apply it anywhere else, it will just work, as opposed to something that I'll have to just rebuild and have like figure out how to do it again in another, in a, on top of another infrastructure. Um, so I think, I think we need to keep vendor neutrality in mind, keep our workloads as neutral as possible. So we can always deploy it somewhere else. Um, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Roy. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm completely agreeing with them. There is definitely is one of the things that we see the most is companies find it themselves having, uh, like what you want is someone that deals with Kubernetes, uh, that develop a Kubernetes, uh, DevOps engineers for Kubernetes, and what they find after a while, if they really wanna enjoy like the full benefits of the public cloud, that they have an AWS engineer and an Azure engineer and, and these uh, skill sets that are not really fungible across infrastructure. So making like a day zero decision and saying, okay, in our decision-making process, uh, we think ahead. And uh, it is definitely gonna serve you when it comes to day two operation and stuff of the like. It, it's basically uh, the reason why we created StateUp as something that is a type of like a standard for storage that you can access wherever you want, however you want, and does not require from you to learn all of these terrible things that Michael and Uri told us, like storage and networking and replication policies and all kinds of things like that. And I'll let Michael like introduce like what we do, which is basically simplify everything and uh, take it away, Michael. Yeah, uh, I won't bore you with too many slides. Uh, actually, just two, uh, two like, you know, um, I drive a, a certain point home that uh, there's currently no convenient way to declare data. What you do, you declare storage, right? Persistent volume claim makes you, uh, like the persistent volume claim mechanism is, is great, but it uh, makes you declare to your uh, containers what kind of storage they will use and where that storage will be. So if you're on AWS, you would, you would choose to uh, use a uh, GP2 or a GP3. Um, uh, on, on Azure, they have their own storage classes that bind to actual uh, different storage products within the, 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 the Azure ecosystem. Uh, the same goes with uh, Google Cloud and so on. So, uh, so, so first of all, the problem is with the portability of the configuration. The, the, De declarability kind of goes away, right? Because um, you no longer have uh, something that describes your application. It describes what kind of binary I want to run and where is the volume that um, 
that that I want to use it with because underneath the, the persistent volume claim, there's the persistent volume that is an actual volume ID, like almost a long uh, number that goes to a specific disk somewhere. Now, what happens if you want to move your application even to a different availability zone, not to mention another region or another cloud, you deploy the same configuration. And even though it's consistent with the vendor that you're using, you're gonna get a blank disk. So it's not gonna be your application. It's gonna be like, uh, it's, it's be your application with amnesia. It's gonna be your business with amnesia. It's gonna be uh, like, you know, a, a clean slate, right? Um, not to mention when you want to move uh, to another cloud altogether, none of this will work. So uh, we at uh, State Hub came up with uh, uh, a way of using the persistent volume claim mechanism to uh, allow you to reference your data um, and not specifically the, the, the physical volume and uh, by extension, its physical location in the world. So when you use your, um, uh, when, when you run your applications and they are using state up storage, when they uh, claim volumes through uh, our storage classes, right? Through uh, uh, that, 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 that actually, like you see, it's a, uh, a uh, fully qualified kind of uh, domain name scheme, uh, scheme in which you have the name of your organization, of your company, and, uh, and, and the name of your application or application stack, um, and uh, the name of the volume, this uh, definition will point your application to the same data on any cluster anywhere in the world, no matter on which uh, region, AZ, or cloud vendor it is. Now, of course, the concerns are what happens to the application, the, the, the data access latency, right? So uh, what we did is uh, built in, um, is we built in multi-region, multi-cloud, multi-AZ replication, uh, which happens in real time. Uh, it's not synchronous across uh, large distances, but it's effectively synchronous. Uh, and I won't go into, into details uh, here, but uh, you are more than welcome to ask me questions if you uh, uh, want to know how it all works. But the idea is that when you want your application to run somewhere else, um, you would register your cluster with StateHub saying, I have another cluster somewhere else uh, in the world in a different cloud. And we will make sure that the data is there waiting for you to the point, to the moment when you would want to run your application there. And when you will run your application there, if you want to move it from somewhere else, the data will be already there waiting for your application when it comes up. So um, uh, this is how we kind of get the data close to where your application needs to run. There's this whole, um, let's call it uh, a premise or, or concept of uh, data locality, which uh, is like, you know, you have those um, vendors and solutions that allow you to understand where your data is and move your container or your application close to your data and run it there. But, but that might be not where you need your application to run from a business perspective, right? So we kind of uh, obviating this um, approach and, and doing the opposite. We're bringing the data over to where your application is. And um, by doing it as a service, you don't even need to take care of the underlying networking or to connect your clusters within the same network. It all goes like uh, when you consume state up storage, um, it just automatically is uh, like, you know, almost magically replicated between all of the locations where you uh, might need your data later on. So uh, you are just able to uh, deploy your uh, application uh, just by applying your YAML files, Helm charts, what have you, with the same, uh, um, with the same persistent volume claim configuration 
you know, letter for letter, verbatim. It's, it's going to be the same and it's going to refer to the same data no matter where your application running is running at, uh, on which Kubernetes cluster, on which uh, region, on which cloud vendor. Yeah, and just to add to that, like uh, the level of experience is so simple that even I, as someone that the closest thing you got to replication is copy and paste in Word, was able to replicate an entire cluster from one region to the world to another, uh, to a different infrastructure and how much, like four or five different databases uh, that are connected to it that work completely in sync. Uh, the reason why I can do it because the only thing I needed to do is basically register the other cluster to StateUp and the replication just started. It just recognized it, created the networking, created everything for us. So even the marketing guy can just run with it and, and, and do it in a second. There's no need for any like dedicated knowledge, like, you know, all of this uh, information that Uri and Michael uh, have lost a lot of uh, hair and hope on, learning how storage works in different areas and in different things. <laughs> I'm just checking your self-confidence. So uh, all of these things uh, are not really needed. Like what StateUp does is it just turns the data into something declarative. The second you apply a single line of code, which is StateUp register cluster in another region, you've created all of this infrastructure that uh, would have also cost you a lot. But besides that, it's just not something that you should do. You should focus on developing application, not infrastructure. Yep. Mm -hmm. I've got a question. Since we're talking about you know simplicity and as someone who can't even copy and paste on Word, I, I can't empathize with the, the previous statement and position, but thinking about that from a simplification perspective, something that I hear with certain degree, a certain degree of frequency is about how you know Kubernetes needs to become more boring, you know, easier to use, et cetera, et cetera. When we're talking about simplicity, obviously we're talking about the ability to save time. From a data stakeholder's perspective, what do you think? Are the things that um, data practitioners, DevOps, DBREs, et cetera, should be focusing their attention on and perhaps are wasting their time on uh, with these things that are being simplified by, by the work that you're doing? You want to take that, Michael? Or? Um, Thinking inside, sure. the in a, inside a day two context, for example? Well, like, you're, asking, you're asking what else, what else does working with a service like ours saves like saves you time on yeah so saving by saving you time on certain things enabling you to focus on things that should be a bigger priority or should be deserving more attention uh, first of all first of all let's let's make one thing clear like i everybody knows this i think everybody who, at least who works in this industry knows that we are understaffed no matter where you work you you're probably in need for another devops engineer or two uh, by the way, are you hiring? Are you hiring for <laughs> Jenkins experts? Yes, uh, okay. yes, okay. Always. Um, so everyone is hiring. Everyone is hiring. Everyone is hiring DevOps engineers. Seriously, it's a big, it's a big uh, pain in this industry. A lot of startups have been uh, popping up because of um, money being printed in COVID, uh, <laughs> and a lot of a lot of startup means a lot of. A lot of people need to scale their, their applications, meaning a lot of people, a lot of CPOs dealing with DevOps instead of just building their applications. So first, first of all, you have that. And then everybody, everybody wants, so let's say everybody has, a, when you have customers and you're making money for each customer that is going into your platform, you make money from they, you, they, the, your customers using it, right? So you need it to be available. I know a lot of companies that have DR as a, as a, like as a as a task, but this task is too big and it's not agile enough and it doesn't fit any sprint. Because we currently work as startups, a lot of startups we work, and not even even big companies, enterprise companies who just adopted the same methodology are doing agile, right? And then you try to make small tasks every time you, you, you're trying to fit in the smallest task possible into sprints. 
and you have this DR task, which is at least at least two weeks long. So it doesn't fit any sprint. It doesn't it's like it's huge. It's a huge thing. So it always gets postponed. Even if you start, you start small, you start, okay, I'll only do, I'll only, um, the, I only have created the R for my Jenkins, right? I'll only do, I'll only do that. That takes a few days. So, okay, you put that aside, you, you do that, you, you complete Jenkins and you, you take everything aside. You continue developing important, more important stuff, new features, because everybody needs new features all the time. And that's, if, if, because if not, you're not competitive enough in your market. Mm. So <laughs> you uh, postpone that and then you find yourself region, like downtime after another, asking yourself, how come I don't have a DR yet? How come, why do I have, why do I have all this automation that can deploy everything I have, everything I have in any, in any region I want? but I still can't bring my application up there, which this is the reason I joined StateHub at the, the beginning because I had this happen to me. I had this region down, I had all the automation ready, but I didn't have data on the other side to bring it all up. So <clears throat> this is a huge thing, VR. It's a huge project that you basically wouldn't have to think of, not in day one, not not in day two. So you wouldn't have to maintain replication. You wouldn't have to maintain network infrastructure or storage infrastructure. You just have it. Um, so that's the biggest thing, biggest biggest thing. Plus, even deploying, even just redeploying uh, Prometheus server on an existing cluster, same cluster. Let's say you want to, I don't know, for some reason you change the you change the Helm chart or you did something, you changed from one version of a Helm chart to another, sorry. Um, and uh Oh, he was hacked by the uh, phone call. Yeah. Oh, that's one hell of a phone call. You know no, what, no, I, no. I, I'm, I'm just gonna... I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you know what? I, I expect that from Jenkins. It's okay. If I, yeah. if I can, uh, if I can like he, summarize this just a little bit, so uh, 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 I think that like we see with a lot of our clients is that we actually take care of a lot of uh, day two operations in day one. Mm -hmm. So basically, all of these things that uh, we was talking about from uh, like you know. Uh, replication, portability, copy management, fire drills, disaster recovery. Uh, all the nice to haves that are actually crucial to your business. <laughs> yeah. All of those things that you, you tell, like, you know, your, your boss says, yeah, we'll do that eventually. Nothing's never going to happen or something like that. You can take care of them in day one and still uh, remain with, like, basically increase your portability and uh, your flexibility. So... Oh, he's connected there, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. We forgive you, it's okay. It's okay, we blame Jenkins. <laughs> anyway, so, that, the, so I was just summarizing a little bit and showing them that little slide that we did with the day two and day one. Mm -hmm. uh, like, like what we said, like making the right decisions like a day zero and implementing them in day one, uh, if those decisions include a lot of the day two operation, it saves you a lot of tasks. So just think that all of these tasks that you see day one that we just shifted left are all uh, uh, perpetual things that uh, are going to take time from your team on a daily basis or weekly basis or monthly basis. But they are these are this is wasted time that you could have developed features and things that will bring you uh, customers or can improve the experience of your existing customers. As a DevOps engineer, I, I, I have. Probably, it will probably I have another uh, suggestion uh, for Bart. Um, like you know, instead of instead of spending a month making your database resilient across two clouds or two, two, two regions, uh, just do it in, in, in two, three, five minutes with State Hub uh, and go home early, be with your kids or your family or, uh, uh, you know, live, <laughs> live life a little. And, I wish and, I would and, live. And, I would... And, don't, and, and don't mess with storage and networks and, and all that crap. Because, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, um, 
work uh, will never, you'll never have less of it. The, yeah. more, the more efficient you are, the more work you have. So. I respect that. Sorry, uh, Uri, you were going to say something? I was going to say that even, even if you automate that part away, you'll probably, as a DevOps, which are understaffed, you'll probably have other tasks to deal with, like bringing more uh, automation into your inter like internal platform and have your developers ship features faster or fix bugs faster. So there's a ton yeah. to do. Also, you know, people- Knock off, knock, knock, knock off some Jira tickets from, 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 from the backlog, increase your velocity, get a raise. And also like, you know, basic IT practices, like you can try application on a few different clouds. Maybe today it works really well on this cloud and tomorrow you'll use a different cloud. Like the Kubernetes gave us this uh, promise that, uh, that we'll be able to have reversible decisions and we'll be able to have like self-healing things and uh, all of these amazing things that kind of like storage, like kind of like took away a little bit. But if we stop looking at storage and start looking at it as data and we start saying like, I want this data to be served to the application. I don't want to create the connection between the data center and the application and assure that like everything is in place. I just want to wish upon data and let it appear. And that's the experience that Stata wants to give, an experience that uh, to deal with data, you don't have to know storage or networking or all of the other things that Michael mentioned. I guess, I guess with that, if I can just ask a question, there's the, you know, and we're talking about simplification, simplifying things, and obviously being in a smaller company, many of you are going to be customer facing, having direct contact with customers. It's something in bigger firms, perhaps some folks don't necessarily have. When it comes to explaining these things and in terms of how much detail you have to get into, something that we noticed from the research report is that perhaps some organizations are writing safer workloads on Kubernetes and aren't even aware of it. How do you go about educating the customer and what they really need to know about and what's really oh. going to add value in, in their case? So a funny thing is like we were in the in KubeCon this year and uh, like the previous KubeCon and, uh, and in the beginning, we when we explained it was our first big event and the, the beginning of the event, we explained people we were like, yeah, we're creating storage, we're creating this, we're creating this. And then Michael started coming to people and telling them, your data is here. If you write this code here, it will appear here. And they went like, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what I want. So you're right, people want things to be simple and people want things uh, to just uh, work. It's uh, one of the reasons why we made it as a service, but it's still a pay-as-you-go and, and everything of the like, but we made it as, as a service so you'll be able to consume it as a service and not think about all of that. So I completely agree, people don't wanna uh, uh, go into complicated DIY solution or learn complicated things. They want to have simplicity and basically uh, when I show them, when I show someone how I replicate a cluster and I tell, I'll tell them that I have zero experience in the matter, uh, that's basically what, what they want to see. They want to see something that is so that it has been simplified to a way that you don't even think about it. In the same way that you, I, I have no idea where Dropbox is holding the data uh, that I put in it. I don't care. Uh, it's available and protected. And that's what's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dropbox is, is actually a pretty good analogy in terms of uh, the, the declarativity, right? You don't go and mount uh, some network folder with an IP address um, and uh, a long path, you know, with uh, uh, a tilde in your username slash home slash users. Like, you know, if, if uh, like, I guess maybe 10% 10, 10 of the people uh, uh, understand what I'm talking about, but like the, 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 the way things used to be that you needed to actually point to the physical location of your data volume on the network in order to access it. What you do with Dropbox is you're like, hey, Dropbox, that's me. Uh, where's my stuff? And, and, and it just appears. And mm -hmm. you save a file there. You go to any other computer anywhere in the world and, and, and your data 
is there as long as Dropbox knows it's you. This is, this is the, the, the storage experience we've created for, um, for Kubernetes. Just as you declare what is the name of the container image you want to run, you also declare what is the name of the data uh, like container that goes with it. And it goes with you wherever you take this configuration. Exactly. Now we are getting towards the end. Uh, there is one point that I always try to touch on with all of our speakers, some of which have been mentioned at different points throughout the conversation is that, and we kind of actually touched on this at the beginning. One thing is about, you know, what is running data on Kubernetes? Another thing is how to do it. But a bigger question, once again, customer facing is why, all right? And so we've, we've kind of identified some different whys in that. But if you had to choose the, the most important reason as to why you think organizations should be taking this more seriously, why there needs to be a stronger push for standardization and sharing practices, precisely what we do here in our community, what would be that core reason? Um, and we'll start with Mr. Jenkins. Okay, so I think, I think probably like there's a spectrum, right? You could do everything managed. You can run everything in managed services and you could do uh, everything yourself. I don't believe extremes. Uh, are, are the best way to go in anything, basically. I think you should take the more balanced and you need to, you need to do it as, you need to do as less as possible. So like the managed part, but you need to keep as much flexibility as possible, right? So I think the sweet point there is running things on Kubernetes with operators and uh, solutions that are just deployed, like developed by someone else but are deployed in your cluster with a Helm installer or something like that and are still in your control. So I think that's the number one reason, at least for me. Okay, anything to add, Michael? Yeah, um, so it, it's kind of a chicken and egg kind of thing. Um, but uh, when we talk about uh, what we offer, a lot of a lot of customers go straight to the business continuity disaster recovery features, right? Because I'm able to get my application running somewhere else with all of its data up until the last transaction before before the failure. Um, that's that's a thing, right? Obviously, um, and and there's like a bunch of other reasons. With you know, I have uh, I have uh, a. a uh, a different cloud, which is now cheaper. Why won't I move uh, uh, my my workloads there if, like, you know, I can get cheaper spot instances? I I can't because I don't have my data there. Well, now you can't have your data there. So it all boils down to to application mobility as a, a core ability for you to run your business effectively, uh, minimize downtime. Uh, be more efficient with funds, um, protect your, uh, your 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 data assets and 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 your brand. So, I I love saying application mobility because it, it kind of well, the problem is it it both means a lot of things to me and nothing to most people. So 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 uh, here we are uh, getting the message out. Last but not least. Mr. Chloe, uh, with your third hat. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's very simple because we should run that on Kubernetes just because we like Kubernetes and we don't want to maintain different flows for, uh, for uh, data-rich application and for stateless application. We want to run everything through a single orchestration layer that that we're able to move and, and, and create and enjoy all these benefits that we adopted Kubernetes for. So the data is just a missing part. It shouldn't hold us back. We should ask ourselves what we can do to actually uh, improve it. There, there, there's a lot of uh, benefit to running uh, 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 stateful workloads on Kubernetes, but if you ask me the biggest one is just you just want everything to be containerized in a way that you have a single skill set, uh, engineers that can support your entire stack and everything. 
and basically unify workflow that will help uh, uh, release things for CICDs better and everything. Uh, Kubernetes has been a proven technology. It was adopted uh, when it comes to stateless and it was created for, 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 for stateless, basically. Uh, now that we have all of these tools like StateHub and a, a lot of also other tools that help us uh, simplify uh, stateful workloads, uh, we should run it just because it's more convenient and we don't want to have different types of skill set and technologies in our stack just because uh, one of our technologies is missing a part. Very, very good. Nice balance between the three answers. And it's good. And the thing is, once again, in an area where standardization is still being established, where things are quite innovative, some of these answers will have overlaps, new ones will be developed. That's what makes this exciting. We did get a question from someone in the audience. Um, can we create a project like Dropbox with Kubernetes as Michael shared the point? Well, um, we can create something that is uh, as resilient as Dropbox. Um, the way that uh, StateHub currently works is that um, it provides block devices like persistent volumes uh, to different applications uh, running on, on specific clusters. Uh, but in order to access it from different locations, you need to actually move the application around. So you cannot have multiple instances of the same application replicating uh, data both ways because disks don't work this way. However, having said that, we are uh, gearing up to release an object storage uh, component S3 compatible, but again, multi-region, multi-cloud, that will allow you to create a sort of uh, Dropbox alternative uh, that is uh, geared towards the end of the year. So um, you will be able to do that. Um, just point your application to a uh, bucket that would appear locally, but in multiple places and the data will be replicated in real time between all of the locations. So right now uh, we're a solution for persistent volumes as in uh, disk and uh, object is, is, uh, is coming soon that would allow you uh, multiple uh, write locations from multiple applications on multiple clusters and multiple regions, multiple clouds. Got it. Um, so we can, we can anticipate state box or maybe it doesn't have a name yet by oh. kubecon uh you can i'll send you the invoice for that um yeah. you, <laughs> by next kubecon the one in october in, in detroit perhaps uh perhaps perhaps okay. uh yeah i don't want to get anybody in trouble <laughs> product uh, like, the launch is going to be in november no no that's okay no like listen i i, I have an ever-growing list of of of, of features and uh, as, as Uri said, everyone is always understaffed, so we're hiring. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, in order to, 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 to get these, uh, these features out. Yeah, the, the second you break the borders and make data availability is something as a commodity, the, 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 there are no limits. Like uh, if you can make data available anywhere, like, you know, uh, application like Dropbox, a thing like that, uh, are an option, but you know, mobile sales forces that, that require like a certain performance and consistency from remote service that they don't always use. Uh, follow the sound scenario where you have multiple data locations around the world that, that need to, uh, to change between primary and secondary without, uh, without losing their uh, sync data. Uh, all of these things are available. It's uh, like, uh, and, and we hope that just like uh, the Dropbox question, uh, we hope that uh, our users will uh, uh, adopt us and will be able to create all kinds of things like that. It's why we actually created like a free trial that doesn't require any credit cards or whatever. And we give you a hundred free gigs, which is more than what Dropbox is giving. And uh, with that, you can do uh, whatever you want. And we actually would love to hear and to help and support different projects. Like just for example, one of our customers, we were able to replicate an entire GitLab cluster. It's uh, it's a hell of a project to replicate a GitLab cluster and the level of complexity is insane. 
because we go from the disk level, not from the application layer, for us, it wasn't that difficult. It was just creating five volumes from one side and replicating them to another. So uh, we're really excited about how, with the things that people uh, find out uh, about us. It's a, it's a hell of a marketing challenge for me <laughs> because there's so many different use cases. So it's very hard to focus. But uh, uh, so far, uh, you know, from small MSP that four people are taking like a, like a kind of like a David and Goliath story are able to uh, take really big customers because they, they don't need to worry about the infrastructure task or small companies that were planning of taking very expensive managed services and were able to solve their solution with something that charges them by the, by the gigabyte and not by, you know, hours and consumption and all of these uh, extremely complicated things. Like, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of engineers yeah. here, but to understand a cloud bill is beyond us. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, imagine imagine having a complex uh, application, uh, as we just mentioned, like uh, GitLab with more than one type of database. You need the ability and the know-how in your organization, how do you create replication for each one of those? Or you can just skip the whole thing and, and say, I want to have a replicated storage so that when I want to, like if, if one site crashes, it would be as if I unplug uh, a thumb drive with the volumes for all of my five different databases, plug it in somewhere else and resume my operation. And it will take like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Uh, this is, this saves a lot of like, how many, how many of you uh, DBA people came uh, to work in the morning just to see that the MySQL replication broke during the night because of a private uh, a primary key violation. Nine this minutes. stuff happens all the time, and it's yeah. so frustrating not having to even set it up in the first place because your infrastructure takes care of the 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 uh, copy management and resilience and like in real time continuously replicating all of your data somewhere else without the clusters knowing that they are being replicated, without the application knowing it's being replicated. Uh, it's going to save you so much headache. Yeah, look, uh, like I see a future where we don't even know which cloud provider we're basically using. We're just looking at geo-availability. That's the dream. Oh, that's the that, dream. Was the that was my nightmare, and this is my dream. <laughs> Exactly. And, and we really hope, like, you know, uh, we're very excited about the things that we see in the, the doc community, because, like, you know, sometimes you feel a little bit crazy. We're like, nobody's noticing these big issues. Why, why aren't they enough solution? But uh, we're definitely excited about the doc community because uh, we see uh, not just the need, but the, a community that really want to solve something. Like, and you uh, can dress up. And you can dress yeah. up, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can dress. We don't up. even use Jenkins; we use Concourse. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's because it's still cool. No, I think these, these are all good points. That's a very nice point to finish on. That collectively, seeing so many people from different countries, but you know, where we're getting together to tackle these problems that we that we identified in the research report, and and really benefiting from the know-how that each one can share. That being said, another tradition that makes us different here in this community is that while we've been talking, we have our amazing artist who's behind the scenes. Uh, so I'm just gonna share what he came up with. Kind of getting in the spirit of St. Patrick's Day, which oh. is tomorrow. I don't know if there is a Purim color, but uh, maybe it's green, maybe it isn't. But anyway, we got a nice sort of mishmash of, of the different topics that were discussed. Obviously quite a few were, were mentioned. And if you arrive late, of course, you can find the recording uh, on YouTube very, very soon. This is an absolute pleasure. State Hub is a very cool place for the technology that they're doing, but obviously you can see from the quality of the human beings who work there, they are hiring. Are you hiring uh, mostly in Israel or abroad, anywhere, remote? What's the deal? Uh, well, outside of Russia, I think we're going to hire anyone. <laughs> that's, the, that's, uh, the yeah. new, that's the new <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's the new standard, I think. Oh, and Belarus. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so for the time being, excluding those two places. For the time being, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're flexible. The devil engineer will probably hire anyone. <laughs> anyone. Yeah. 
Do that's, you how you got, that's how you got your job, right, Odie? <laughs> you hire anyone. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. I won't tell you. Your secret's in with me. Uh, gentlemen, this is a fantastic conversation. Uh, the first time that we actually had you on a live stream, and certainly not the last. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, brought a lot of freshness to this and, and very, very solid solid beliefs and, and giving us a firmer understanding of where we're at, as well as with Roe's dream about where we're going, where we're headed. I like that. So that's a good way to finish, too. Um, thank you all very much. We'll, we'll see you all Just soon. Just a little reminder, we have another yes. webinar on the 23rd that Bart that's is correct. joining, and we're going to be joined with our friends from Platform 9. They also do a lot of work, and we work with them intensively of solving all kinds of data issues for their clients. And uh, we're also going to talk about declarative data and how it can be done in like a managed Kubernetes kind of uh, environment, how AKS, EKS, PKS, whatever S you want can connect together. So, I like all the S's. My yeah. only question, <laughs> am I allowed to dress up for that too? Or this is a very, that will be you a very serious. You are always period. allowed to dress up. Okay, be careful what you wish for. Um, I may I may come dressed as Jenkins. You never know. <laughs> I got to get a bow tie first. No, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. I'll actually be doing that from London next week. I'll be in London next week for our first in-person meetup. We'll also have to start planning one of those in Israel. Um, but yeah, 23rd, we're going to be continuing the conversation. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, dig a little bit deeper on some of the areas that we touched on today. Looking forward to that. Um, so you can definitely check that out next week. Gentlemen, have a good one. I do not know to say happy Purim in, uh, in Hebrew. You can teach us. You just, is, there right. anything, is there anything you say for that or no? Oh, we we'll pull him some out. No. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 we'll make up something. That's, yeah, yeah the, you can you the, can tell me I like Chinese food. The biggest tradition is to get drunk until you don't recognize yourself. Yeah, it's yeah, actually it's, it's actually a a mitzvah. If yeah. you know what it is. Okay, like you know, I rem I remember about two poems from the age of seventeen. I'm very ashamed of those two. Remembering them is like. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know. I, I get it. You really need to export this holiday more. Um, <laughs> with that being said. Oh, you know. Yeah. We have you're, getting you're getting there. You're getting there. You're getting there. That's good. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.